Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity live and direct right now boys and girls i see you out there we have a very special show this evening my guest is lee austin he is the author of the book morning stars tell and don't forget you too can get involved your phone calls are always needed that number is 760-332-8724 one more time 760-332-8724 24. Let's get down to brass tacks and bring in the guest. What's up, Lee? How you doing? I'm doing good, Michael. How are you doing, my man? I can't complain, except for that broken microphone. Yeah, we went through, uh, well, you went through quite an ordeal before we got on the air. You were uh, going through the Museum of Microphones. Oh, yes. It was like a trip through time, especially with these microphones that I own that are actually older than I am. How many microphones do you own? I currently own three, and two of those belong to some pretty big radio stations in the day. No kidding. All right. Oh, yeah. Got my curiosity, who, who did they belong to? Well, one of them was rumored to belong to Howard Stern back in the early days. At least that's what the guy on eBay told me. Maybe he lied. Who knows? You mean WNBC? That's right from a certain employee there. I don't. I don't want to blow his cover. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. Oh, I didn't say WNBC. <laughs> yes, it, who knows really? But that's the that's the story. That's the rumor. But who really knows, well, right? Yeah, I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in Connecticut, so I used to listen to. Uh, I used to listen to WNBC when Imus was on in the morning. Ah, Don Imus. Yeah, Don Imus was on in the morning, and Stern was on in the afternoon. That's incredible. Yeah, you were there in the very, very early days, 
and of course back when you could actually understand somewhat what Imus was saying. <laughs> yeah, he did uh he retired about a year ago That's in right. in March. Yeah. Uh, he was uh he he had lost a step, no no doubt about it, but he was he's old. He's old, but he was damn entertaining in his own time as well. Yeah, he was. He was the forerunner for Stern and they obviously didn't get along because they were so much alike. Yeah, very much alike, uh, which is what caused them to fight so often. And you know the story. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can only have one top dog. Right, right. And, of course, Lee, I definitely wanted you to tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump in. There was a very, very um, horrific thing that happened just yesterday, and you plan to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, if you want, we can touch on that first, or I can, you know, delve into the bio first, whatever direction you want to go. Yeah, take us through your bio first before we get into, you know, more of the horrific things. Okay. Um, back in the uh, <laughs> 1980s, I'm already dating myself, I was uh, working for FedEx, and I decided to go to uh, broadcasting school. They actually had it back then. It was called National Broadcasting and uh, graduated from there and, and started in radio back in uh, 85 and been doing it up until about a year ago when I was working for a news station and and got laid off. But uh, I love this, this more than anything that I do in life. I feel more comfortable on the radio than I do in real life. Uh, I've done talk radio AC, rock, production, copywriting, programming. I've been an operations manager pretty much the whole gamut over the last 30 years. But um, the one constant has been my undying love of radio. It's the most personal medium, and without a doubt, I think it's the most effective medium. And especially with, with what you're doing, Michael, with these long podcasts, I think this format, more than any of its predecessors, really reveals the subject matter in a way that you couldn't do with a five-minute soundbite. I agree so that's, completely. That's yeah. a quick synopsis of my um, background. Oh, yes. And you mentioned you were a broadcaster. You had your own show. Take us through that and what ultimately happened to your program. I'm very curious to know now. Well, it all started with a disaster. Uh, my wife of 20 years left me, and I ended up with a lake house she ended up with the house in Houston, and the lake house was located at a place called Lake Livingston, which is about 70 miles northeast of Houston. So I'm sitting in the lake house, and I'm thinking, what's the one thing that makes me happy? Radio. Radio. So I, yeah. went down, I went down to the only radio station in town. It was a 50,000-watt radio station. It had two formats, country and western, and they played it for the last 50 years. So through a series of events... I became the program director and started doing a show called Outcast Radio in the morning uh, from 2007 to 2013. Oh, wow. And that's when I really got into the conspiracy theories. It was a 50,000-watt radio station, so it had really good coverage all over East Texas, just kind of hitting the boundaries of Houston, Huntsville, Conroe, Lufkin. And after six years, I decided to part ways with the station, ended up in Austin. And through another series of events, started doing a national uh, show with Republic Broadcasting Network. Did that for two years. 
started talking about the flat earth, the owner of the radio the network became, yeah, he became so incensed <laughs> that he fired me. Wow. Over he, the he flat said, earth. He said, he, he said, you gotta, you gotta stop talking about it. I said, I can't. Uh, and, and I wasn't a believer in the flat earth. What I would do is every night I would come on the radio and go, you know, I heard about this thing called the flat earth and it's stupid. And, and anybody that believes in it, it is stupid. And, and over a series of months, right. I got to the point where I was 5150 and then <laughs> wow. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. And, and ever since I drank the Kool-Aid, things have gone really in an interesting direction. I got fired. About four months later, I'm here in Florida wondering what in the world happened. And I got this inspiration to write a book. And the book is called Morningstar's Tale. And it's written from Satan's point of view. And the reason I wrote it from Satan's point of view is I knew that what I had to say was so outrageous that if I were to say it, they would go, you're a nobody and you're crazy. But with Satan, he has a bit of authority and he has a track record. And I wanted to present it in a way that was disparaging and actually ridiculed the reader because I knew that I was going to meet so much resistance telling this story that I wanted someone just as arrogant and full of pride and knowledge to present his side of the story. In the book, Satan decides that his story is so crazy that no one's going to believe it, that even though he's the author of lies, for once he's going to tell the truth. And for 80 pages, he lays out the structure of the universe, the structure of human beings, who he is, who the Ancient of Days is, and where all of this is going. And it was only through him that I was able to write that book because it was just so insane what I had to say. But in the book, it makes perfect sense to me more every day that I read the book. So let me get this straight. Once you started talking about the flat earth, that's when things really took a hit on your personal life. Not only on my personal life, but on my professional life. Uh, everybody thought I had lost my mind. But really what I was doing was I was digging and digging deep. I, I read a book called The Book of Enoch. I read the second book of Enoch. I read all these extra biblical books that have been banned. And then I started getting into the occult. I started uh, reading the writings of uh, Manly Hall. And I started reading all of these occultic books. And what I noticed is that when I put them on a coffee table, the Bible, the book of Enoch, the occultic books were all saying the same thing. Sometimes they were saying the opposite thing, but they were all going in the same, same direction. direction. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a symmetry between the darkness and the light. And I knew that there had to be a way to present this without sounding crazy. And I thought, I'm going to present it with an individual who is already arrogant and doesn't even care if you believe his story. And that, to me, was the moment where it just took off. Understood. And growing up, Lee, by the way, were you fascinated by these various fringe topics? Or, of course, later on, this interest came to you. But even before then, were you ever into any of these things? My first exposure to a conspiracy theory, I was six years old. I was living in Connecticut, and uh, this was 1963. And my mom was crying in front of the television. And it's one of my first memories ever. 
And I remember saying to her, what's wrong? And, and she said, they, they killed the president. Ooh, yeah. Fast forward to 2010, I'm in Dallas, Texas. And for the first time, I'm walking over to Dealey Plaza and I'm getting this chill literally up my back. And I walk out to where the uh, book depository is. And then I look out on the street and there's two X's. And they are the marks where Kennedy was shot. And I look up the road. I don't see any cars coming. I run out into the street. I step on the X. I turn around. And I look up on the sixth floor of that book depository. And the first thought to my mind is fiction. Everything is confirmed. It's a complete lie. And I had already been doing my conspiracy radio show in Livingston for about three years at this time. But... Once I visited Dealey Plaza, it was closure and the beginning of an acceleration where I just I was full on into anything that had to do with the truth. And it's not a conspiracy theory. It's the pursuit of truth. And that's what I'm looking for. And if they want to cloak it with that term, I've got no problem with it. But my bottom line is I just want to know what is true and what isn't. And that's been my pursuit most of my life. And I'm sure it has been yours. That's pretty fair. Great answer. And of course, the JFK assassination of 63. Uh, Mind boggling stuff. I can't even believe we we still don't have all the facts in yet. In 2019. That's bizarre to me. Well, and when you think about it, I approach the whole flat earth the same way. I don't uh, discuss it in the way that other people do. And we'll get into that at some point. But with the Kennedy assassination, the way I look at it, I look at the CIA. I look at uh, them wanting to go to Vietnam, the military industrial complex, his involvement, uh, perhaps with the mafia not being happy, the whole Marilyn Monroe part, uh, converting to the silver dollar, getting away from uh, a fiat currency. There were a lot of people that had a lot of reasons to kill him. And then he gave that infamous speech in June about secret societies. And when you coalesce all of this information, just like I did when I wrote the book with the Bible, the book of Enoch and the occultic writings, when you take a look at all of the individuals that profited from the president being assassinated, you no longer look at it as a conspiracy, but as a fact that somebody killed him for gain. Oh, yes. It definitely appears to be many factions that really want to get rid of JFK. No doubt. Oh, yes. And, you know, like all of us, he was flawed, obviously, in his personal life. But when you listen to his speech, especially the one about secret societies, and you compare him, and I'm trying not to get into politics, but, you know, to the current administration. We might get into the, that. El- the, the eloquence of a JFK. And if you want to go with Reagan, too, I really believe that should be a prerequisite to being president, that you have to have a grasp of the language. But the way that he explained the secret societies and how they are the antithesis of what a democracy should be, I thought it was one of the greatest speeches I've ever heard by any president in my lifetime. I'm with you on that one. And in the chat room here, oh, okay. Some For some reason, we were disconnected for a moment, or at least I was. Now everything seems to be going well. And yeah, my friend, I was just still baffled that in 2019, 
we we still don't have all the facts in. And many people thought with uh, Donald Trump riding the chair there that we would get these facts, but that hasn't been the case yet. No, and and I don't think we ever will. We probably it's won't. Similar, it's similar to the flat earth. I, I don't think this argument is going to be settled in our lifetime, but what I'm noticing, especially with this topic, is there an there is an acceleration, unlike what I had witnessed even a couple of years ago when I began to write the book. Right. Uh, that's all that everyone is really focusing on is, okay, have we actually been lied about where we're at and what this is all about? And to me, this is the mother of all conspiracies, if in fact it is true. Indeed. I was going to bring up New Zealand, but let's take it here, the flat earth. About a week or so ago, I watched the Netflix documentary Behind the Curve. Have you had the chance to watch that yet? I got a text from my son-in-law two weeks ago, who's a non-believer. Right. And by non-believer, I mean he doesn't believe in the flat earth. And he said, I I'm gonna I, I know it's coming on. Uh, who's going to watch it, you or me? And I said, well, I don't have Netflix, so you win. What was your take on it? Did they present it well? I did not see it. Understood. Yes. For those that don't know, Behind the Curve, it's a documentary that you can find on Netflix that follows around these flat earthers and mostly YouTuber Mark Sargent. I'm quite sure you're familiar with him, right? Rightly? Yeah. Uh, I interviewed Mark Sargent about 30 days before I was fired from uh, Republic Broadcasting. Now, that's a pretty interesting tidbit. He's, uh, he's actually been on the program before. Oh, you've had him on your show? Yeah, he's been here. I'm not exactly a flat earther uh, whatsoever, but I'm still open-minded to all of it and just uh, kind of fascinated with, with the whole movement, to be honest with you. That's really what um, interests me so much about it, that so many people are into this. Well, I adhere to the uh, Groucho Marx uh, axiom. I, I would never belong to a club that would have me as a member. And I've uh, steered clear of the Flat Earth Society and, and Flat Earthers in general. Not that I don't agree with a lot of what they're doing. It's just that I'm noticing there's rifts within that society like there is any fringe society. And I just thought I'm going to go in my own little direction. And what it comes down to me, Michael, is if we talk about curvature and all of these other issues as to whether the earth is flat or not, we're just going to go around in circles. In the last month, I think <laughs> I, I think I've, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that, but that that's a funny. good one. Uh, I, I think I've hit upon something that actually will lead to someone at least questioning whether the earth is flat. Right. And, and that's the subject I'd like to get into first, if you don't mind. No doubt. No doubt. I just want to quickly say, I was just, Kind of surprised that Mark Sargent got a Netflix special. It, it was, uh, I'm dumbfounded by it. Really, I would, I never sus uh, suspected that he would rise to that sort of uh, fame, quote unquote, fame. There. There's a great line in Network. Did you ever see the movie? Albert Finney came out in the in the 70s. It was about uh, an anchor man 
who's a newscast. They had three networks back then. He was in the cellar and he was in the depression. One night he comes on the rate on the television and he goes, well, I'm, I'm nearing retirement, but I've decided, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. So tomorrow night, uh, I'm going to kill myself on the air. So y'all tune in and the ratings go through the roof and he becomes a, a celebrity. This is, uh, the first reality star, if you will. And eventually he meets the head of the network. And he says, Albert Finney, the newscaster, says to the uh, to the to the head, Ned Beatty, the head of the network, he goes, uh, so why me? Why, why do you want me to preach this message? And Ned Beatty, the man who owns the network, looks him straight in the eye and he goes, because you're on television, stupid. <laughs> and like that's that. the same thing with Mark Sargent and all of this. Netflix has to fill and everyone needs content. And that's the biggest demand right now in this digital media. We've got a thousand different platforms, but what we're lacking is content. And Netflix is like anyone else. If they know something is trending, they'll get whoever yeah, is doing the best job at that right. time. And that's what it's all about. It's about numbers and getting clicks. Oh, yeah. I agree with that. So they were just jumping on the bandwagon, per se. That would be my assessment. Understood. Well, it makes sense. The flatter theory has soared uh, to just meteoric heights, really, in terms of popularity. It's one of the ones What's, that is way up there. One of the interesting aspects of it is is who believes and who doesn't. In, in the initial letter I sent you, I, I had pointed out in a Forbes 2018 article that one-third of millennials question whether the earth is round and the reason being is that millennials grew up at the advent of the internet so in other words uh, we have before christ and after christ but we also have before internet and after internet and if you were born after the internet you are more apt to get your news from the internet and you're more apt to go to youtube to pull up all these videos so what's happening is millennials are pulling up videos from the moon landing. They're pulling up all these archived articles, and they have access to information that you and I never had. And because of that, and they've got so much time on their hands because there's not really a lot of good jobs, they spend all their time chasing millennial conspiracy theories. And and, and I think that's the reason that a lot of millennials are open to the idea of a flat Earth more than other demographics. Good point there. and. Another thing I wanted to ask you was, were you religious growing up, Lee? No. Um, I am a Christian. I didn't get saved until I was 21. I always say that I was a Catholic before I became a Christian. But even after I became a Christian at 21, I went through a, a really dark period of backsliding. I was a, a full-blown alcoholic at the age of uh, 36 and uh, I quit drinking at 36 and I haven't uh, had, I haven't been drunk in what's well, coming up on 26 years, but a lot of that clarity. You haven't you gone drunk. Over the years. What's that? You haven't gone drunk. No, I haven't gone drunk in 26 years. Well, I apologize for that. that oh, a, you mean. That's a joke. What kind of joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand yeah. you were a big fan of comedy. Well, 
the one thing I've noticed with sobriety, in some ways, I'm a lot crazier sober. Isn't that isn't that what what the wild part is? Once you do get sober, you kind of understand that you're kind of nuts without anything. Well, and that's the thing. You start saying stuff. I tell guys with early sobriety, you know, you're, you're going to be <laughs> yes. saying something like a woman might come up to you and say, you know, do I look fat in this dress? And when you were drinking, of course, you would go, no, no, yeah. you're fine. Now you're not drinking and it's a program of rigorous honesty. It's like, yeah, you you got a few LBs going kind on there. You're, you're looking kind of wide. I would suggest jeans because you're fat. You're looking like a radio guy. Yeah, you look. You you got you got a body for radio, babe. There you go. You got a you got a body for radio and a voice for print. <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. So you know, uh, watch going back to the documentary really quickly. Uh, the documentary, I definitely want you to watch it. it. It is interesting to see everyone's perspective on this, and I, I definitely want to get your perspective on why you are a flat earther what makes you believe wholeheartedly my friend the moon the moon okay the moon the moon did it for me because uh, i think coming around to the flat earth has to be in steps and, and the first step and it's like the program of alcoholics anonymous there's 12 steps in aa but to become a flatty and this is just something i've come to in the last 30 days there's three steps to becoming a flat earther step number one you don't believe we landed on the moon if you if you believe that we landed on the moon you will never believe that the earth is flat and sometimes when you're around other people and you say you don't believe you that they've landed on the moon they'll say oh and you're going to become a flat earther yeah you're on your way so the first step is if you don't believe they landed on the moon, that's step one. The second step is you believe that the sun and the moon are actually the same size and that the sun pours its light into the moon and that the moon does not reflect but actually project. And, you know, before I came on, uh, we yeah. were chatting about the fact that you had uh, Leo on. Yeah. Uh, last week and and you uh sent that story over to uh before it's news and right uh i did the same thing with this story it's called sun and moon same size half-lit moon during day disproves reflection and if anybody wants to you can go to before it's news right now and click on my name which is lee austin and you can pull up the story it's called Sun and moon, same size, half-lit moon during day, disproves reflection. So, okay, first step, you don't believe we landed on the moon. If you're there, are are you there? Michael. Yeah. Are, are you there? You Do you oh. believe or not believe we landed on the moon? Uh, well, that's a hard one to answer. Uh, a part of me believes we did, and then the other half of me doesn't. It's kind of like so for, how, it's kind of like how I'm I'm an, an uh, agnostic atheist. I'm fifty percent in and fifty percent out. I work as a uh, logistics coordinator during the day, and, and the guy who works next to me is a, a, a Luciferian or an atheist. Or I, I I don't I shouldn't be putting or in there. He's he's probably a Luciferian because on on his on the back of his car he has a bumper sticker with Baphomet. Ah. And and I came Maybe. into work because he bought a new car, and I just started laughing. 
and and he and I, this is the funny thing, he and I get along better than I do with most Christians. And I said to him about a month ago, and I've been working with this guy for two years, and I said, you know, even though we we disagree spiritually, you and I have more in common than those who believe what you believe and what I believe. And he goes, you're right. And And what it is, is he's an outcast. He's an oddball. He's not comfortable being around people, talking in groups. He's more of an isolator. And that's really what I am, too. But when I'm on the radio, I, I don't have a problem or if I'm talking in front of a large group of people. But I find that I am most comfortable around people that don't fit in and are not accepting of the world as they see it. Understood. So does this mean you are also a creationist? Yes. And I'm fully aware that there are multiple types of creationists, by the way, but you definitely are. You would categorize yourself as one, right? And it, yeah, I do. And it, it leads into the idea of a geocentric model. And here's the irony in all of this. This book came out pretty much the beginning of October of last year. And this is about the 11th uh, radio podcast interview I've done. I have had more favor with non-believers than with believers. I have found that the greatest resistance I'm getting is in fact from the Christian community. Really? They're the ones who are pushing back the most. They're the ones pushing back the most. Wow. I don't get I don't get any feedback. That's at bizarre. All. Yeah, hmm. I tried marketing to uh Christian shows and and for the most part nothing but crickets Ooh. because I think they're worried about their audience pride. Here's the irony. Whether you believe in this or not, whatever you believe, you believe, but if you're willing to compromise that belief with the popularity of man, I don't want anything to do with you. And and what I have found is that those that aren't believers are more accepting of what I present in the book because I'm just explicitly saying this is Lucifer. This is what he thinks the universe looks like, is structured as, and he explains the hierarchy of the Ancient of Days kingdom. He explains the hierarchy of his kingdom. He explains the structure of DNA. He explains numerology, Kabbalah. He goes way down the rabbit hole. The book is only 80 pages long, but those that are searching, and by searchers, I mean those that are tattooed, earrings, uh, have gone to church, found no power, end up becoming a witch or a warlock because they're looking for power or they're just looking for some answer. I admire those people. Those are my people because that's the kind of guy I was before I became a Christian. What what brought me to Christianity was marijuana. Really? So you were just high one day and you started I thinking was, about the universe and God and no, Jesus? No, no, not at all. Here's what happened. I'm in Los Angeles. I had been living there for about a year, and I never experienced an earthquake in my life. Okay. So I'm, sit I'm sitting in the bathtub, and I am, uh, unlike Clinton, I inhaled. You inhaled. Okay. I, I not only inhaled, I was snorting the roach. Oh. I was, I was high, extremely high, and I'm in the bathtub. Amazing. And all of a sudden, an earthquake hit. Ooh, that, that must have tripped you out then if there was an earthquake. 
It absolutely freaked me out. I, I run outside the door. I'm in a towel. <laughs> In, in the towel in Lawndale, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. What is, and everyone's just kind of walking around, you know, because it's L.A. It's, yeah, dude, the earthquake. And I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm just gonna search, and 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 the and the flame was lit. I, I, wherever this takes me, wherever it takes me, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm gonna was, roll. Okay. I was I was chanting, I was drinking, I was smoking hash, smoking oh, yeah. doobies. All right. I was I was going down every single road trying to get enlightened or to find out the reason we're here. Sounds like a good time. And yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I get it. I get people who are searching for truth. My problem is the people that are satisfied with where they're at. Uh, they're content. Feel yeah. Like they have, yeah. And they feel like they have all the answers. I, I don't have a really hard time being around normal people who accept this paradigm as it is without questioning any of it. Those are the people that frighten me because those are the people that end up killing their family. Those are the actual the actual weirdos, the ones that you don't really know much. They stay introverted inside their homes, and one day something goes wrong and they go nuts. Yeah. It's kind of like when exactly. you see your, your neighbors at times. You see them, you, know, you, you assume that they're just a happy family, but you don't exactly know what's going on behind closed doors. You take the family in um, Colorado. The guy who killed his wife and his two daughters. Yeah, he went all Benoit. Because he was having an affair. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. and she's posting all these photos about the happy family. You know, to me, Facebook is one of the biggest illusions out there. I agree 100% with you. Uh, Facebook, social media, uh, the Instagram, the Twitter, all, all these things, really. I, I like them all, but I don't use Instagram or anything like that, but... Um, I could definitely see how these things really do have a stronghold on the young and old. Absolutely. And once my radio show ended, when I was asked to leave the building, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the old Bobcat Goldthwait joke. I, I lost my job. Well, I didn't really lose it. It's just that when I go there, somebody else is doing it. Understood, yes. That's one of my favorite <laughs> That's jokes. A good one. But, uh, yeah, it just – it's been a wild journey, Michael. Uh, it, yeah. I have to say that it hasn't been boring, and, and that's the one thing I have a hard time with is uh, bore, boredom. I'm very OCD. I'm very ADD, and, and to me, it's an attribute, not a detriment because I think it, 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 it fine-tunes your mind. Understood. And going back to the Bible really quickly here, you are, I'm, I'm assuming you're under the assumption it's God's word and the Bible says it, so you definitely believe it. Is that the mindset you go with? That is the mindset I personally go with. In the book, you're not going to really get that mindset. You're going to get Lucifer's mindset. Here's the real rub of the book. Throughout the book, Lucifer tells the truth, but at the same time, he embellishes his role. Like, for example, the uh, the scripture that talks about uh, Satan falling. I saw Satan fall like lightning in Isaiah. Yes. He he. No one knows the Bible better than Lucifer. So he quotes that scripture, and then he follows it with the following statement, something to the effect of, and that's why I was cast out of heaven— because God was jealous. And then he'll he'll cite a scripture or something from the book of Enoch, which is completely a polar opposite 
of his interpretation. So throughout the book, he gives you an explanation about the structure of a particular part of the universe. For example, he talks about the fact that we live in a multiverse and that string theory isn't a theory, that there are 10 heavens and not three, which is another point of contention with a lot of Christians. But this was just stuff that I studied and learned and now believe over a period of time. But what I really enjoy about the book is that because he wrote it, I can somewhat distance myself from accountability. But by the same token, I'm fully invested in the book because it's only 80 pages. I did five rewrites. The editor did a rewrite. And even when I read the book now, I'll get about 20 pages in and my head will start spinning. And then I start laughing because mission accomplished. The whole idea of the book is to get people to question the reality and to go on their own journey of truth wherever it takes them. It's kind of like the episode I had smoking dope in L.A. and the earthquake hit. I wanted to find out what was going on. And that's what I want to accomplish with this book is to just have people question the reality. And you can be as something as simple as the moon landing. For example, you know, you talked about the fact that you're not too sure. And I understand that. You know, maybe they did film it in a studio. Maybe. But at the same know. time, yeah. maybe they did land on the moon, but they couldn't film it. But they had to get that film, that soundbite, to further propagate the budget for NASA. So I get yeah. I get that angle. I kind of do feel that way, that perhaps that thing was embellished, the footage. And then there's the whole Stanley Kubrick angle, sure. which is fascinating, too. I guess what it is is I like hanging around people that I can have a conversation like this with, like yourself. Without going off and going, you're crazy, you know, this this whole idea of agreeing to disagree in the pursuit of truth. And that's what I love about hanging out with people who are weirdos. I love the weirdos. And that are open-minded. Yeah. I'm exactly. Yeah, I'm definitely with you. And by the way, Gang of Four in the chat room wants to know uh, about the quote-unquote dome. He says, what is it made of and how thick? Okay. Uh, one of the tabs that I have pulled up is the book. Uh, I've got the book available online, but I also have been uh, marketing it by emailing it to people. I just sent them a copy of the book. And there is a part in it where it talks about the dome. Um, and I'm looking for that right now. So if you want to, uh, embellish for a moment i'll continue looking for that passage no problem speaking of the dome there was a tv show i remember not that long ago that was called under the dome and i'm not quite sure if the chat room remembers it or if you even uh, remember it yourself but it was a stephen king novel called under well, the and, dome. A, and of course you know you've got the truman show now with the truman show you have Ed Harris playing the great architect. He's the one who orchestrates it. And his name is Christoph, which is the play on the word, the name Christ. There's so much to it. Okay, here we go. I'll just read a little bit. Go for 35, it. 3,500 miles. And again, this is Lucifer. The entire book is narrated, Morningstar's Tale is narrated by Lucifer. It is told... Uh, uh, from his point of view, there's no interaction. It's just a, it's an 80 page monologue. It's almost like my dinner with Andre. 
okay, so 3,500 miles above the surface of the Earth, the sea firmament dome acts as a translucent lens revealing the luminaries of the second heaven revolving clockwise around the flat Earth. Again, it is the refraction of the luminaries through the hardened lens of the sea firmament dome that creates the illusion of ripples. Your eyes are not deceiving you. That is my job. That's just a, a, a sample of right. the firmament dome. There's something called Libyan sea glass. It's a phenomenon, and you'll find it in Libya. And it's broken shards of glass that some believe are, in fact, part of the dome. Uh, there's this idea that, okay, if, if we live under a dome, how do you explain meteorites? Well, according to Lucifer, Morningstar, he says that meteorites occasionally will penetrate the sea firmament dome, and they will come down through the atmosphere and burn up. And this Libyan sea glass is the result of a crack in the dome, which seems to seal back over. And again, I'm not backing this up with any scientific data. A lot of this book, put on your tinfoil hat, <laughs> yes. was, a, was a bit of a revelation to me. I found myself writing stuff, and I would look back and go, where did that come from? So when I'm writing this book, Morningstar's Tale, um, I'm writing it in the person of Lucifer. So I'm trying to be smart, arrogant, belligerent, condescending. And at the same time, I'm trying to channel the Ancient of Days and what he wants me to, to write. So I've got this conflict while I'm writing. And there's a couple passages. One, uh, Lucifer states that the sea firmament dome is in fact 3,500 miles above the earth and that hell is 3,600 miles below the surface of the planet, which is flat. Um, let me just, if you don't mind, Michael, um, I can just read you a paragraph or two from the first chapter and I'll take out all the references sure, to the book of Enoch okay. and all that. So just get to the meat. Uh, this is how the book begins. In chapter one, he just basically explains who he is and what he's going to do. Um, I use the uh, illustration that he's like a baseball player that can throw a 105-mile-an-hour fastball. He walks up to the batter and says, the next pitch is going to be right down the middle. It's going to be 105 miles an hour, and you're going to miss it. He walks back to the mound winds up, throws the pitch. It's 105 miles an hour, exactly where he said it would be, and the batter misses it. That's how Lucifer presents this book. He knows that what he's saying, from his perspective, is the truth, which goes against his nature, which is to lie, but he tells you the truth because he knows you won't believe it anyway, and so he's laughing while he's telling you this. It's almost like a story you hear from a friend that's so crazy that he's laughing while he's telling you because he knows it's the truth and he knows you won't believe it. So that's the frame of reference in which he presents this entire book. Understood. Understood. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely. So we be yeah. We begin with chapter two, Planet Earth, and it, it begins with a quote from Frederick Nietzsche, who was an atheist. And he said, quote, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. 
And then Morningstar, Lucifer, begins, quote, The illusion of planet Earth remains one of my favorite deceptions. Truth be told, and I rarely do, my Earth is flat, with a sea firmament dome above, a diamond-shaped underworld below. It's the floor of the universe and ground zero of the first heaven. My flat Earth is the only physical plane in existence. Take a deep breath. Nothing is as it seems. It's not the high-def digital clarity that holds the key to deception. Rather, it's the lens of perception through which your eyes view reality. In this case, the camera lens brings the lie into focus. There's no denying the videos taken from above distinctly show the Earth's curvature. However, the only curvature is in the fisheye lens of the camera. It's not the Earth that has curvature, but the lens creating the illusion of curvature, like a mirage rising off a desert highway in the middle of the summer. These ultra-wide angle lenses produce a strong visual distortion, all the while creating a wide hemispherical image of distortion. Like a fisheye lens, it is tilted up or down in relation to the horizon. The result is the illusion of curvature. Tilting it down creates an orb effect, panning the shot from low to above creates the mirage of an orbed curb effect. And we've seen this countless times, Michael. Um, for example, the uh, remember the Red Bull dive? There was a guy, I forget his name, but they... Oh, yeah, they, when he leaped. When he leaped, he was about, what, about 150, 125,000 feet? Yeah, he was way up there. But if you look at the video... He, it looks like he's a he's much higher because the Earth is a small ball beneath him, and that's the result, I believe, of the fisheye lens creating the illusion of curvature. Right. Understood. And that's what the book does. Basically, what Lucifer does in this book, the first chapter, he explains. Uh, he calls it catching up, and he says, "Allow me to pull back the dimensional veil that separates us and enlighten your dimly lit mind." That's the very first sentence of the book. Yeah, you also so quoted he, uh, Francis Bacon right right in the first chapter. I thought that was actually kind of interesting. Another name that you don't really see too often. Yeah, Francis Bacon said the desire of power in excess caused the angels to fall, and the desire of knowledge in excess caused man to fall. And there's some people, and I'm beginning to believe this conspiracy theory too, that Francis Bacon was actually the one who wrote Hamlet, and all of the works, for the most part, of William Shakespeare. That Bacon is also the one, of course, who wrote Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta. Was it Atlanta or Atlantis? And I read it. It's that book that never got finished. But that gets into the Nephilim. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it goes way down the rabbit it's, hole. It's but let me just read. Very interesting the, that you definitely chose some of the passages uh, in the Bible and, of course, the Book of Enoch. Go ahead. Okay. So the preface of the book. And this is the very beginning. And this gives, this gives you an idea what the book is about. Uh, recently, the light bearer disclosed the mysteries of his occultic kingdom, including the physical and spiritual laws that govern the universe. Knowing the vast majority of humans would reject his uncomfortable truth, the father of lies proceeded to write a book revealing the hidden mysteries of antiquity. When asked about his motivation for such an endeavor, Lucifer scorned and laughed and replied it was an experiment for his own twisted amusement. As he predicted, the reception for Morningstar's tale was met with universal scorn, ridicule, and derision. Similarly dismissed as the rantings of a madman, ironically, his only honest revelation was relegated to the dustbin of failed novellas. Morningstar was delighted. 
It's a very interesting book. I've read a few chapters. I haven't finished it yet, but very, very interesting stuff. And of course, I am an open-minded skeptic for those that don't know out there. Uh, there is a spiritual battle inside me. Uh, it, it always lingers inside me. And it does for all of you out there hearing the sound of my voice. And that battle occurs in Christians as much as it does with non-Christians. And, and in many ways, it, it amplifies. Uh, the last couple of days, for me personally, have been a train wreck. I I belong to a... Uh, I, I, I don't go to church. I, I have a real problem with church. So I, I, I belong to this uh, home church. Home church. And yeah, a home church. We meet at a guy's house. Okay. And we just hang out. We hang out. It's kind of like, uh, I don't want to say it's like friends. Let's go with Seinfeld. It's more like Seinfeld. <laughs> more like Seinfeld. Okay. The, Seinfeld in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> you got it. Which is my, my, fav my favorite episode of Seinfeld, by the way, is the one where George does the opposite. You remember ah, that yes. one? And he mm. said he wanted to, he said, I think this is going to be my religion. And Jerry said, <laughs> well, then your savior must be the Antichrist, yes. which I thought was pretty funny. That's such a great show, by the way. It's my favorite show of all time. It's really kind of lived through through the years. The, the content has really just still remained strong after all these years. That's what really trips me out about that show. The fact that they did an episode about the show in other words george and jerry get together and george says why don't we just do a show about nothing a show about nothing yeah like what all right we're sitting here talking that's a show and that essentially is what seinfeld was it was a show about nothing yeah they did have stories but it always came back to the characters right and the character development was like kramer nobody knew how he made a living and then he eventually gave a reality tour of his own life. And, and, and the stories just go on and on. And then there's the, the episode where Elaine was dancing, where you'll cry and you'll cry again. And each of them have their own little quirks. But it was so well written between Larry David and uh, who went on to be, you know, do Curb Your Enthusiasm and Jerry Seinfeld. But you just don't see that quality anymore. I really miss that kind of uh, entertainment. But that I kind think of programming, these... yeah. What was that? Uh, that kind of programming from the late 90s, early 2000s. Th there were some fabulous shows that were out. Uh, really good movies. Everything was well written. And today, uh, we, we just have subpar quality in terms of uh, writing and the way certain actors are now. They don't really deliver the way they used to. I like what Homer Simpson said. He said, uh, music achieved perfection in 1974. And I thought, uh, yeah, maybe, right. maybe. But when you look at the 70s and the 80s, you take movies like uh, uh, French Connection, where they filmed a chase scene in New York. They just filmed a chase scene. They didn't necessarily get any anybody's permission to do that. You kind of ran with it. I, what I really miss, Michael... And I don't know how much you lived through this, but I can remember when I was a kid in the summer growing up in New England, I would go outside and my mom would say, well, see you later. And I go, OK, this would be like nine in the morning, nine o'clock at night. I'd come back and she'd say, do you have a good day? Yeah. What'd you do? 
I hung out, you know. And that was that. There was no need to be in touch. There was no need to text to uh, get on Facebook. You just went outside and you lived your life. I, I just think right now. That doesn't happen anymore. No, and I feel bad. I work with all millennials at my job. Ooh. I'm like 30 years older than the next oldest employee, except for one other guy. They're younger than my kids. And when, sometimes when I tell these little stories, when it's slow, they look at me like I'm from another planet. Like you're ancient. They have, yeah, I, I have, I have, they have no perspective on, on, on this life that we grew up in. That's very true. And you get a taste of that out here really quickly uh, during Halloween, especially during Halloween. I only get maybe two to three different kids. And when I was going to school, the streets were littered with kids. The, yeah, the streets were packed. Oh, and yeah. it was different. It, it was so different. And I never wanted to become one of those guys. And, and unfortunately, I have. Uh, I'll be 62 next month, and I finally qualify for early Social Security. This is the first birthday I've looked forward to since the age of 25 when my car insurance went down. I mean, oh my. It's, it's actually something good is going to come about regardless of this day. So it, it's just weird because I, I've become that guy that I said I would never become. And even my daughter, I was talking about uh, moving maybe to Orlando or back to Austin. And I said, I just don't want to live. If I get a condo, I don't want to live next to somebody who's playing music loud. And she just paused and she goes, you sound so old. old. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> it, it, that's a Seinfeld. That's an episode of Seinfeld. Right we there. all get old indeed. And and I believe uh, Curtis in the chat room wanted to know if you were an Android guy or an Apple guy. I'm an Android guy. At work, I'm forced to use Apple. There you go, chat. I know he asked that very early on uh, during the show. And I thought, you know, I'll get this in there somehow. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll get it in there. And what are you, Michael? Are you an Android or an Apple guy? You know, for internet use, I prefer the Android. And as a system as a whole, the iOS is actually pretty pretty good, I would have to say. It's, it's top quality stuff. Runs a little bit better, a little sharper, doesn't exactly lag as much as an Android does, in my opinion. You know, and as much as I disagree with the president, the statement he made the other day kind of resonated with me when he said about, and I know he's just talking. Sure. But when he said, you know, enough with the technology. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want a guy who has to be a graduate of MIT flying my plane. And I had studied to be a pilot. And I think that's part of the problem right now. These operating systems are getting so complex. They're superseding the basic operation of these machines, whether it's an airplane or an automated car, it's it's like enough. And we were talking about this before we went on the air. My every time I turn on my computer, it seems that Microsoft wants to update. Update, yeah. And when and when you switched out mics, I had to reinstall Skype. Are you serious? I am dead serious. I, because we had signed off, and you were going to fix, you know, switch out the mic. Sure. So I clicked on Skype, and it said, uh, "Do you want to install?" And I'm thinking, really? Again? Wow, that's bizarre. I didn't know it it did that on you. Yeah, it's just, and it gets back, to, and I, I'm trying not to be political tonight, but, you know, as much as I disagree with a lot of the stuff that Trump does, 
Sure. When he made that statement about the airline, and again, he's not a pilot, and I get it, and I'm not either. But I think doing the research on this plane, apparently the engines, and I was looking at this before we went on the air, the engines on the 737 MAX are actually forward <coughs> of the wings. In other words, with a regular 737, they're directly under the wing, but these new 737 MAX 8 and 9s, I think they're called, the engine, if you look at it, is in front to a degree of the wing. So what happens is when these planes take off, there's a tendency for the nose to lift and stall. Yeah. And that's why that's allegedly Boeing installed this sophisticated software. And I think what it is, and again, this is complete conjecture, but from reading these articles, it may be a systemic problem with the basic structure of the plane itself to get more seats on and to get those bigger engines under the wings, they had to, in fact, move them a little bit forward of the wing so they're not completely under the wing, which then leads to the possibility of a stall increasing. And then they wanted to put that software in to counter that. That's the story behind the story that I don't think anybody's talking about. Yeah, it's really fascinating that this is going on. The Boeing's going down, and of course, the 737 crash that happened earlier as well. Um, very wild stuff. It all brings me back to 9-11 for some reason. It reminds me of all the arguments I heard way back in the early 2000s about if and how a plane can get hacked. And of course, we know that to be true. These planes can be controlled remotely. That's why there's always these firmware updates in these uh, systems to prevent hackers from taking over so yeah there is that possibility but you know where i'm going with this right oh i think i can see where you're going go ahead oh yeah i'm going along for the ride michael yeah so th this brought me back to a lot of arguments that i heard way back in the early 2000s about 9-11 it all reminded me of uh, these arguments and if this could be a potential hacker per se a hacker group we we don't know I i'm very meat and potatoes you know as we said at the beginning of the conversation to me i don't really talk to people about the flat earth initially i just tell them to look at the moon the moon look at the sun the moon and the sun are the same size the sun pours its light into the moon that accounts for the uh moonlight my my argument in the article i wrote for uh, before its news is that the sun and the moon are the same size half-lit moon during the day disproves reflection and i begin the article by saying think about it how can the moon be half-lit in the daytime sky when it should be fully illuminated by the sun? That's because the moon doesn't reflect the sun from its exterior surface. Rather, it projects sunlight it has received from the sun. The moon is a hollow, flat, translucent, crystalline, self-illuminating disk, one that generates its own type of cold light. Taking that in context with what you were talking about with 9-11, to me, I don't argue with people about the planes being hacked or the possibility of thermite. Sure. I say, watch the interview with Silverstein and watch Building 7. And he admits it. He said, after all the destruction, and I'm paraphrasing, we decided to pull the building. How do you pull a building the same day two other buildings go down unless you had foreknowledge that the other two buildings were going to go down because there was no way you could get all those detonation explosives in position and coordinate 
the implosion of Building 7 the same exact day. The buildings went down like at 9 and 10 o'clock. I believe, and then yeah, at 5 I, o'clock in the mm-hmm. afternoon, Building 7 is going down. Yeah, it collapsed about Super seven Super hours down. later. And he was the one who had the building insured for over, I don't know how many trillion dollars. And we rewind 24 hours before that when then Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld stated that the Pentagon lost trillions of dollars. So, you know, those to me, those facts supplant the arguments. Okay, was it a missile? Was it a plane that hit the Pentagon? Could a plane been hacked? Explain to me, Silverstein explaining how the building was pulled at five o'clock in the afternoon. How did they know they were going to do that? And how in the world did they get all those detonators coordinated that quickly? Yeah, it's bizarre, really, that Lucky Larry. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I was um, auditioning once. I I had worked in the Houston radio at KLOL for a while back in the 90s. Shout out. And yeah, shout out. Well, they're no longer. They're Hispanic. Oh, they they're went under. Mega 101. Ah. And, I, and the other station I worked for went under, too, the Arrow. But I auditioned for a talk show. And the first day I'm on the radio, to just show you how completely blind I am to mainstream media, because this was a mainstream talk show, and I was just filling in, I asked, uh, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? And the phones lit up, and every single call was about 9-11. And we talked about 9-11 for two hours, and I thought it was great. And then at the end of the two hours, they said, thank you, and I never heard from them again. Thank you, goodbye. Thank you, goodbye. Yep, that's enough of you, they thought. Let's get back to talking about how Democrats suck <laughs> and Republicans are great. Uh, I, I think that's kind of what they wanted to sell uh, for whatever market you were on. And that's too bad, really, because people care about these subjects and everyone wants to get to the bottom of it. And, and how can you really blame them for wanting to know the truth? Well, and this comes back to commerce. Last night, I came home after I, I found out I was essentially kicked out of a certain program with this uh, affiliated church and I was uh, kind of down in the dumps so I thought what better way to cure my down in the dumps syndrome I'll watch Blade Runner again so for the 15th nice. time Blade Runner. I, watched, I watched Blade Runner the original last night and and it just brings it all home to me it's about commerce uh, Tyrell the mad Frankenstein genius who explains to Roy Batty why he does what he does, and to Harrison Ford. And he talks about commerce. The reason we built these AIs with memories is because of commerce. And it's the same with everything. Follow the money. As cliche Follow as it is, right. every conspiracy theory ends with a pile of money. Follow the money trail. And that's true. If you want to know it's the cliche. answers. It, it is very cliche, but that is actually the remarkable truth of it all. And, but... Going back to Building 7 quickly here, uh, people want want to know the truth. They saw what they think they saw, and, you know, the saying that goes, don't believe your lying eyes. However, that thing fell rapidly. It didn't look uh, natural at all to me personally. It definitely looked like a controlled demolition. Well, it was a classic implosion because it fell in on its own footprint. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the World Trade Center's pancaked because I believe of thermite, uh, 
Building 7 was just a classic implosion. And that's the first time that three buildings have ever collapsed because of a plane crash. And, you know, back in the, uh, was it the 40s? There was a plane that uh, flew into the Empire State Building. That's true. And, I, I mean, I think it was a military plane. Yes, long ago, that did happen. And, by the way, in the chat room, uh, Shepist wants to know if you love Nancy Pelosi. I really don't have an opinion. Does does he? I'm not quite sure. I, I think he was just trying to uh, mess with you there, I think. Yeah, I'm just a quick background. Uh I'm I'm 61. I've been divorced now for 12 years and I like what Louis CK said about divorce, you know, before uh, he became ostracized. Uh-huh. Uh he, he said, you know, with marriage, uh you always hear guys saying my marriage is falling apart, but you never hear a guy say my divorce is falling apart. It, it gets it gets better. It's like an oak tree. And I, I have to attest to that. Twelve years on the other side of a of a divorce after twenty years, every day my divorce gets better and more solid. Last night there was this woman who was uh, talking to me, and and I could tell, I could I could see that she was extremely irritating, and and that I could not go out with her. <laughs> twenty years ago, I couldn't do that. You know, it's like when you quit drinking, one of my favorite meditations is look through the bottle and see where it takes you. Instead of just seeing the pretty ribbon and getting, you know, wasted, see the puke, see the puke, see the piss, see the DUI, breaking out in handcuffs, all that. I do that with women now. I I look, it's going to sound really strange, but maybe this is because my sex drive is decreasing because I'm an old fart. I look at the character. I look at the woman and I think, could I have a good conversation with her? Could we have a cup of coffee? Could we have an intelligent conversation not based on me wanting to get laid? And 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 the answer 99% of the time is no. I'd, I'd rather hang out with a guy or pet a dog. No, I don't – I understand. I understand where you come from. Uh, definitely, we we have lots of these relationships with, with various people. Sometimes we want them in our presence, and, and sometimes we don't. I enjoy my free time. Yeah, I don't, of course you, you know, I'm sure you like your your freedom. Yeah, the conversation we're having right now, if you were a woman, I couldn't be as free. Pretty much the filter is, for the most part, off. But if you were a woman, I'd have to be a little more guarded. What if she was a flat earther? Oh, well, then I'm taking my clothes off and we're having a real good conversation. Amazing. I believe. <laughs> did you like my hypocrisy? I sure did, and I, I, it was a good one. <laughs> I, I believe uh, that was kind of like the basis for that uh, behind the curve documentary. Uh, Mark Sargent, he was into this other female that he does the show with, and it almost seemed like you know they were trying to hook up. At least that's what the documentary tried to make it what, seem. Was was the woman named Patricia Steer? That that would be her. Yeah, she does another flat, and I haven't seen the movie, but she does a, a she has a flat Earth channel called uh, Flat Earth and Other Hot Potatoes, something like and that. I yeah, was, yeah, I was actually thinking about her before the broadcast because we we're gonna. I knew we were gonna talk about flat Earth. She is beautiful. That's and a good I looking. See why he want to yeah. do that? I was just gonna say she's not a bad looking woman at all. I could understand no, she, where that comes from. She's intelligent. She's very she's, smart. Yeah. Yeah, she's extremely intelligent, but that's 
the last woman that I went out with that I really liked, uh, she was a flight attendant for United Airlines, which nice. to me, okay, there's, there's, that's great. But for a long-term relationship, that's, that's bad. But the other thing was she had a really twisted sense of humor, which I love, which is extremely rare in a woman. And she had male sensibilities. So here you go. A woman with a great personality, male sensibilities, good sense of humor, and she had a hot body. But I knew in the long run, again, I looked through the bottle and saw where it would take me. Right, right. I knew it, yeah, I knew it would lead to my own insecurities because <laughs> if I didn't keep the radio job, she met me when I was on the radio, and that was part of the attraction. She was a flight attendant, ah, and I'm the guy doing a talk show. That's how you put her in. <clears throat> Based on past radio experience, I knew I was going to get fired eventually. So if I'm working at Home Depot and she's still flying around the world, that ain't going to work because that's not a good match. And I know that might sound superficial if any ladies are listening, but there is an ego aspect to it where the guy, for the most part, has to be the alpha. He does. Otherwise, he does. Just yeah. That's just how it goes. And now in terms of reception, your book has received. Have you gotten any funny emails or complaints, anything of that nature? I've gotten both. Okay. I've gotten some, you know, emails where they're laughing at me, thinking I'm crazy. I've sure. gotten other emails okay. where people have uh, wholeheartedly embraced the book. I've gotten a really good mix, which is exactly what I've been looking for. I didn't want everyone to be accepting of it. I didn't want everyone to reject it. I wanted a good mix, and so far, that's what I'm getting. You know, I occasionally will receive some pushback myself. Uh, the funny thing to me is this show has elements of satirical humor, very dry. Uh, some things I say at times will definitely be over the top, laced with that dry uh, sense of humor that I have. But that doesn't stop people from leaving these horrible comments and emails every, every now and then. And those are always from the older men and women out there who come across the program completely unsuspectingly, uh, only only to be horribly offended. And truly, I love that. I, I admit that is one of the many elements of this program that I enjoy. It's it's fun. Some people that are into conspiracies, and conspiracy radio specifically, what you and I are doing here, sure. uh, are very serious individuals, and they want you to just you know tell us the facts, put on your tinfoil hat, and tell me the apocalypse is around the corner. I'm not that guy. I mean, I, I might talk about... 9-11, but I'm going to follow up with a fart joke. Yeah, of course. That's just, that's just my nature. I can't, I can't be in the trenches, and I don't have all the answers, and I've got to let off some steam. Otherwise, I'm just going to be like them, and I don't want to be miserable. No, I agree with you 100%. That, of course, comes back to the very unpopular opinion that we all have. Some people just don't like hearing that sort of thing. And that's just, you know, how we have to work through these things. Uh, we have to talk it out. That's why it's good to have these open conversations and not have all this arguing and fighting and who's right, who's wrong, who's uh, my God is better than your God. You know, that sort of banter. And you don't win anybody to God that way. The way that I found God was I searched for him and and he showed up. I really have a problem with people hitting people over the head with their God. And it gets back to this book. There is so much, in my opinion, there is so much meat in these 80 pages that regardless of your spiritual bent or none, 
you'll put this book down and you'll read it again and read it again and you'll start going, maybe there's something to this. I'm going to go down this road or I'm going to go down that road. And that's what I want people to do. I just want them to go on their own journey and stop accepting life as it is because most of it is BS. Yes. And now in terms of articles online and all these things that come out disproving the flat earth theory, what is your perception on that? Do you ever take a look at that at all and, and think, okay, maybe I'm wrong about this. When I finished the book, I was about 95% flat, pretty much a hundred percent flat up. I'll tell you what I believe 100%. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't want to keep hammering it, but I will. It's okay. This idea that the sun and the moon are the same size is, is to me a great starting point. Because instead of arguing whether there's curvature or, you know, as I, as Lucifer eloquently states in the book Morningstar's Tale, he says, what you believe is the Earth's curvature is in fact the vanishing line of perception from your own point of view. The flat horizon changes in relation to your vantage point. Now, that sounds rather highbrow, but the reality is you're going to believe what you want to believe. Well, but that's true. If you, if you and I go out during the day and we see the moon and we see the sun in the same sky, and I say to you, how can the moon be half-lit in the daytime when it should be fully illuminated by the sun? You'll look at the moon And for a moment, you'll pause and go, okay, I'm thinking. And that's all I want you to do. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to, as Morpheus would say, set your mind free. The Tycho Crater, for example, it's on the lower portion of the the moon. It's only 53 miles away. If the moon is 238,000 miles away, as they say, you would not be able to see a 53-mile wide crater. And here's where the leap of faith really astounds me. If you believe in the heliocentric model, which is that the planets and everything revolve around the sun, then you believe that the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun, and yet the sun is 400 times away, further away from the moon. And that's why they appear to be the same size. To me, that's an incredible leap of faith. Whereas my eyes say they're the same size, and I read in the book of Enoch that because the moon and the sun are the same size, the moonlight is poured into it from the sun. And that makes sense to me. I I never could understand, and I still don't understand, the heliocentric idea of a quarter moon. What's causing that curvature? Is it the Earth's shadow? Because then it would be an eclipse. The only explanation that satisfies me is the fact that the sun pours its light into the moon over a 14-day period, and this is from the Book of Enoch, pours its light into the moon over a 14-day period, then the moon is fully illuminated, a full moon, and then over the next 14 days, it extinguishes itself until it's a full, uh, until it's a new moon. When I read that, you were and then sold. I looked in the sky, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Okay, flat earth... <clears throat> I'm going to put you on the side for now. I'm just going to become obsessed with this idea of the moon. Got some water there for you? 
Yeah. Take a drink there. Oh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, don't worry. Lee had a bit of a coughing attack there. Uh, he went to go get some water, I would have to assume. Oh, yes. And I'm looking at you guys in the chat room there. You guys are pretty damn funny. And, wow. And Lee's back. That was crazy. Are you okay? I'm, I'm back. Can we take a quick break? Yeah, we, we can take a quick little break here if you'd like. No problem. <coughs> All right, boys and girls, we will be back in a moment here. Round two next. Stay tuned. Ah, there we go. And now we are back, boys and girls. I do apologize. Uh, Lee had a bit of a, a coughing attack there, but now he is A-OK, -okay, right? Yeah, I got some uh, spring water from the flat earth. <laughs> Love that, by the way. Um, but now I'm curious, though, if the earth is flat, then why is the moon and the sun shaped the way they are? Can you answer that one for me? Well, it, it gets back to what um, I state in in the article and in the book. Um, and again, this is what Lucifer believes, and I agree with Lucifer. Um, the moon is a hollow, flat, translucent, crystalline, self-illuminating disk. There is this prophetic line on um, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, where Great they talk album. about the fact that it's it's all dark, and and the simple fact is the we we don't see the moon rotating, and I honestly believe the reason we don't is because there's nothing to rotate. That in fact it is a disc, it is self-illuminating, it is translucent, and I believe the reason we didn't go to the moon is not because we can't get there, because I believe that the moon and the sun are under the sea firmament dome. So when you see all this uh, twinkling stars, the luminaries, the reason they're twinkling is, is is because of light and sound. And Tesla was actually right when he talked about light creates matter. But the sun and the moon actually rotate around in a circle above the flat earth, about 3,500 miles. But the sun and the moon, I've come to the conclusion, and again, this is not based on scientific data this is based on my belief the substance of that which you can't see i believe they are both discs the sun is a localized disc and so is the moon one gives one type of light the other gives another and again the sun pours its light into the moon and then the moon illuminates and extinguishes over a 30-day period amazing so lee no interest in coming back to radio uh, actually, I applied for a job tonight. Uh, okay. I I uh, probably will not be doing my current job much longer. I think my my days as a logistics coordinator are almost through. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to get back into radio. No, if you do, put a good word in for me. My God. <laughs> well, I'm not exactly applying to big radio stations. The one I just applied to was in Gainesville, which right, is about right. right. A couple hundred miles from where I'm at, but what about you? You you have a great voice. Uh, in and out, you know. There's uh, there's times where it seems like it's going to happen, but then the curtain or the carpet gets pulled right underneath my feet. Where have you worked? Have you done some terrestrial radio? Well, I helped uh, John Casaretto and 
um, John McAfee produced the show for them for for a short time there that was actually in Austin, Texas. No kidding. When were you in Austin? Because I was living I wasn't, there no, 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 2013, I, 2015. Oh, no, I wasn't physically there. It was then, <laughs> it was then remotely. Oh, so the, the show was originating out of Austin. Right. It was being broadcasted out from there. Was it being broadcast from a local station there? Because I am familiar with it. was part. a very, very small <laughs> a station. I think they even got a fine by the FCC. Oh, yeah. 90.1. Is that there the same you... one that uh, Alex Jones is on? Right. It's a replay. They replay that on Sundays. Uh, That's Bill, so funny. Bill Liberty Radio, it's called. Yes. Uh, what happened there, that's... I don't even know what happened there. The 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 lady who owns it, she wouldn't even talk to me. <clears throat> well, the people that own it were fined, I think, about $15,000. They were broadcasting. They had a stick on the other side of an apartment building at an undisclosed location. It was a pirate radio station. Sure I used to was. listen <laughs> sure to uh, Alex Jones in Austin on this pirate station. Hell yeah. I'm glad you did. Uh, that was a yeah. fun time. Yeah, it was uh, Alex Jones, Catherine Albrecht. Catherine Albrecht, the guy, right. the guy who wrote, you remember a book called The Brotherhood of Darkness? I do, actually. What was that guy, Monteith or something like that? He, uh, he since passed yeah. on, but he was sort of the uh, the godfather of conspiracy radio. He was to conspiracy radio uh, what Art Bell was to UFO radio. Yeah, he is long gone now. But I recall his show indeed. Bring the the guy's name. Uh, I I didn't listen to a show regularly though. I I knew someone that did though. Yeah, actually Austin is where uh, I got the national show because I was a weird thing happened. I was um I was at this church and this guy had a radio station mm. and this is in Round Rock. And I said, you know, I like doing radio. He goes, well, you want to do a show? And I go, okay. And, and I started doing a morning show there for free. The owner of the network just happened to live in Round Rock and listen to my show every morning. And so <clears throat> I found out the network was located in Round Rock. So I went down and asked him if, you know, he was looking for anybody. And he goes, oh, yeah, I, I listen to you every morning. Wow. <laughs> that must have tripped you out there, too. It did. It was serendipity. Oh, yes. And now, before we uh, move on to a different thing, a uh, tragedy took place yet again, this time in New Zealand. I thought we could get into that really quickly here. I just wanted to get your opinion on the latest news as we get warmed up here yet again. Uh, there is an online video of the entire shooting from the killer wearing what I believe to be some sort of Go uh, Pro Cam. Uh, and it was pretty goddamn intense, very much like a video game, except it wasn't a game. And people were slaughtered. It, it was pretty intense, this video. I'm not quite sure. You caught that, though, Lee. <clears throat> I did. Not in, I haven't watched the video, but apparently 49 people died. Uh, police said they're investigating it. The guy wrote a 74-page manifesto right. uh, against Muslims, against immigrants, and uh, cites other right-wing extremists. Uh, that's the... The story we're getting right now right and to be completely honest i've seen much more uh gory and gruesome videos online this one was somewhat tamed as i watched people getting slaughtered i kept thinking uh wow these poor sobs never stood a chance against this guy's firepower 
I kept thinking, what would be the best scenario in case an actual shooting just so happened to break out around me? And obviously, the wrong strategy would be to huddle up uh, in some corner. That didn't work at the church. They were all shot one by one by the shooter, uh, who would eventually go down some sort of main hallway. I keep thinking of that movie, The Kingsman, and that uh, slaughter with the implant, the phone implant, where the agent just goes crazy in the church and just kills everyone. It just seems that this has become the new the normal. Norm. Yeah, the new it's, normal. It, it, right. it is the new norm. You know, where I live, um, I'm about uh, 60 miles from Orlando, <clears throat> and I was looking for a condo there last Friday. I was thinking about moving, and I drove by the uh, Pulse nightclub. Of course, that's the nightclub where uh, ah. over 50 people were slaughtered Word. Uh, was yeah. about three years ago. And then you go south of where I live, uh, more towards Miami. And then, of course, you have Parkland. And then, the, you know, I, I can trace it all in my life. It's <laughs> strange as it sounds. Uh, uh, with uh, the one up by Danbury, the uh, school there, I, I was working at a radio station there. But it's become the norm. When I see these stories, I, I mean, as much as they – disturb me as they do everyone else it's like it's just another day yes just another day in the neighborhood indeed and uh pat in the chat room says these are uh fake shootings uh, well actually i saw footage of this and it was plenty real plenty real you know you, this is where i have a problem with these conspiracy theorists and, and again i'm you know you and i are both probably in that tent but uh the one up by Danbury, Connecticut. What was the name of that school? You know, the one in Connecticut where they there was a slaughter and Alex Jones got in trouble. Oh, Sandy because Hook. He said, yeah. Sandy, Sandy Hook. I, sure. I worked at a radio station, WLAD, back in the 80s, early 90s. It was like five, ten minutes from where that shooting took place. And Alex Jones got in trouble because he said that <clears throat> it was fake and there were actors and all of this. And that came back and haunted him. How can somebody sitting in their living room on the internet call it a psyop when something happens on the other side of the world? And, and again, the flat world. <laughs> the flat in New world. Zealand. In New Zealand. I mean, how, how, what kind of balls is that for me to get on my computer and look at a video and go, uh oh, oh, psyop, psyop? I hate that word. That's one of the words that just pisses me off to no end. When, you, when, you, when they see something happen, they immediately go to the PSYOP card. How do you know you weren't there? By the way, um, speaking of which, a court rules gunmaker Remington can be sued over the Newtown shooting. That's one of the headlines here. Well, it's interesting Amazing. because I think Remington, because I grew up in Connecticut, uh, I believe they manufacture guns in Connecticut. It's either Remington or Smith & Wesson. They have a plant. It's very unusual that they're going to be held responsible. I, I don't think they should be, though, in my personal opinion. No, of they weren't. They yeah, they weren't telling people to go shoot up any schools or anything like that. So why why should they be held responsible? I I don't doesn't sit well with me. Well, if you want to take a real jump down the rabbit hole, I, I'll give you my take on where I think all of this is going. Yeah, go ahead. I, I definitely want to get your take, but before uh, you do give us your take, because I, I definitely want your opinion on this, uh, I just wanted to quickly mention, I don't recommend anyone to seek this uh, video out 
Um, I'm a bit broken to a certain degree, so my tolerance for this sort of thing will be much different from yours. <laughs> Yet, of course, it always weighs in on me much later about the innocent people that died and having having that sort of thing being done to them. No, no one truly deserves a death like that besides maybe a pedophile. That's that's my personal opinion. Uh, go ahead, Lee. Take over. Where I think this is going is to a one-world religion. As we see these ramping up, we've got uh, Muslim extremists killing Christians, and now we've got white extremists killing Muslims, and it just school shootings, and it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And I do believe we are going to head towards a day when there will be a one world religion, but it will be a pagan religion. It will be uh, a technocracy. The real rulers of this world very soon are going to be guys like Tim Cook and uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, uh, the ones that are pursuing this digital nirvana. Nir uh, Elon Musk, for example, has his neuron lace the whole idea of the singularity, uploading your mind into a machine. Yeah. So where this is really leading is to an AI God. And what's interesting about the Bible is that in the book of Revelation, it talks about, and he gave life to the image of the beast. I think that's AI. Mm. And, and I, and I think point. we're getting to that day. And it's going to happen, but there's going to, there's going to need to be an event like anything else. For example, with 9-11, that was the digital Pearl Harbor. We needed an event to go invade these seven countries. A new Pearl Harbor, it, yeah. A new Pearl Harbor, exactly. And then that's what 9-11, in my opinion, was all about, is uh, the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower was absolutely correct when he warned us about the military-industrial complex. And, you know, as, as much as, and again, I'm going to get a little political here, we can go as there. much as people line up behind Trump and they say he's uh, you know, fiscally conservative. I mean, this is a guy who filed for bankruptcy four times, and he is spending a tremendous amount of money on the military-industrial complex, and the money just keeps pouring in and pouring in, and eventually you have to justify the expenditure, and you have to go out and start another war. That's what they do. They start another war. It was the same situation in Syria. You know, he actually wanted to pull out but it was in the best interest of the military-industrial complex, in my opinion, that they continue to fake these fight, fake wars. I'm with you with the fake wars, indeed. It's truly a disaster to see that we keep repeating the same mistakes we did throughout time. Uh, these conflicts never seem to end, and that, that's the bad part. We, we don't exactly know when they're going to end because we were the ones who incited them to begin with. Way back, well, there's no incentive many to moons end ago. them. There's no yeah. incentive to end them it, it, because we're making they're much, making a lot of money. Exactly. It all comes down to money. It's a, it's a big profit. So that's going to keep turning and turning that, that wheel, that chain. It's not going to be broken anytime soon. And, of course, we have all these shootings that occur all the time, which is pretty insane by now. We've seen a lot of them throughout our time in our nation's history. One of the most insane shootings that took place here in my neck of the woods in California the great bank heist of North Hollywood. I'm not quite sure if you uh, remember that one from back in the day. 
I do remember that one. That's where they the uh, the shooting. were shooting up a couple guys with an armored car. Right. The cops and it went outgunned. on and on, and the cops just were <laughs> completely outgunned. Amazing that was, stuff. That was the amazing part of that story. It really was. That was something else to watch that go down in the news. And, of course, there was the other uh, chaotic scene that we had some short footage from Columbine back in 99. Uh, truly well, you, horrendous. You even had the one out in Thousand Oaks, which is just on the other side of the valley from where that other Hollywood one. Yeah, there's been so many damn shootings. It's can't keep track of them. You really can't. Um, It really makes you think why we are so obsessed with this. Why, why our American culture is obsessed with guns. Again, I get back to that movie, The Kingsman. I'm a gun owner, by the way. I'm not. I'm not against guns at all. I actually love guns, but I do recognize that there is some sort of strange problem nowadays when kids have to worry about being shot at their own school or even going to a church you worry about these things now or even in a crowded area the mind races nowadays well and i was just thinking about vegas how about that shooting no one no one's ever no one's ever dug deep into that one how did that guy get up in the in the mandalay hotel and have all those weapons and all those people were shot and there were no other cameras ridiculous really there seems to be much more to that story than the public is made aware of. Well, it's not like it happened at Area 51. It, I mean, it happened <laughs> True. In, in Las Vegas on the Strip. You're not telling me there's not thousands of cameras recording everybody's movement? That's got to be one of the most uh, surveillance-driven cities on the planet. Indeed. Flat planet. Indeed. I'm not quite sure how he managed to bring all those suitcases back to his room. I know it was probably over... A duration of time, but still, you would have to get sort of suspicious. What do you say? Well, and this leads into where it's going with technology. Uh, go a little bit further down the rabbit hole with this whole idea of 5G. 5G. There we go. And this also ties into the book Morningstar's Tale. In the book, uh, let me get to chapter four. <clears throat> which is actually my favorite chapter in the book because I don't know how I wrote it. Hit it. Go ahead. Um, actually, it's chapter five. Yeah, I'll hit it right now. It's called nice. The Glue of You. <clears throat> Nicholas Tesla, who we talked about a little bit earlier, yeah. he said, quote, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And what Lucifer says is every image is infused with a double helix DNA molecule consisting of the chemical alphabet A, C, T, and G. And again, as a side note, this was shown in the movie Blade Runner 2049. They were talking about this. But um, getting back to the book, in different combinations, these sentient building blocks provide the fuel to create, change, grow, and reproduce. DNA is spiritual technology, transforming dust into life. RNA is the invisible bond glue which empowers DNA to upload its genetic code and form tangible matter, ultimately manifesting as biology in the third dimension of the first heaven. 95% of the remaining DNA is invisible, hyperdimensional shifting portal technology penetrating the other nine dimensions of heaven. I don't even know what I just read. And and that's why I said when you read this book, you'll go back and you'll read it and read it and read it again. To me, that is steak. That's 
very thick steak that needs to be dissected, taken apart. Because what Lucifer does in this book, specifically in chapter 5, he explains that human beings, he calls them images, are in fact containing what is known as a double helix DNA, two-thirds. But in the Garden of Eden, he claims that Adam and Eve were the first transhumans displaying an external spirit and an internal body. So in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer is saying that man, Adam, and woman, Eve, had a triple helix DNA genome code. This allowed them to transcend the other nine dimensions of the multiverse and to converse with the Ancient of Days. So right now, man has a double helix, and whether you believe in God or not, all agree that man contains a double helix. And actually, it's six protons, six electrons, and six neutrons, six, 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 two-thirds. The mark of the beast is not 666. It is the mark of man. And he goes on saying, given a choice, most images, again, man, will be implanted with my triple helix DNA chip. So what he says, and again, this is Lucifer, he says when it's time to accept the mark, it's actually going to change your systemic DNA. There's another part in Revelation that talks about men will seek death for like five months, but they can't find it. And I always wondered why they couldn't kill themselves. Well, what happens is, according to Lucifer, man becomes an eternal being when he accepts the mark of the beast because it systemically changes his DNA from a double helix to a triple helix. But instead of reflecting the Ancient of Days, man will now reflect the light bearer. So he'll become one with Lucifer. So what this whole chapter comes down to is you have a choice to either upgrade (coughs) to Lucifer or to God. And of course, we are talking to Lee Austin, the author of the book Morning Stars Tell. And he, I assume, is getting a drink there to clear his throat. Lee Austin. Man, every time I hit the meat, I start choking. (laughs) That's okay. I, I just gave out the name of your book and of course you can find that at amazon go ahead and check the yeah, book no, out you, my can, friends. you can find it at amazon and barnes and noble very good stuff here and we definitely are coming to a close very soon here on the interview and just a couple other side notes here before i cut you loosely um as i mentioned before lots of people do get offended with some of the things I do talk about. And one of those being is I've been quite vocal about my disdain for Michael Jackson. Although I've been in my own spiritual battle against Michael Jackson, you know, uh, I'm not exactly sure where, where you share your (coughs) stance on one Michael Jackson. I definitely want to hear your opinion. Well, there's different levels and, and uh, it's alluded to in the book that, According to Lucifer, <clears throat> there is a hell. He says it's 3,600 miles below the surface of the flat earth, and that hell is shaped in a body, and that there's different places of torment. And it is alluded to that probably one of the most torturous areas of hell is for pedophiles. I, I think, and again, this is just my opinion, 
that the Ancient of Days looks upon pedophilia as one of the most horrific acts, call it a sin, that man can, because you literally are destroying innocence. And it's probably the worst thing that a human can perpetrate on another human. It's really terrible. You know, Michael shared his bed with a, with a child for about 30 days without leaving the room. And then, of course, he would trade up as soon as they got older. Sort of sounds like a lot like Leonardo DiCaprio, minus the young boys. Yeah, with DiCaprio, it was with uh, 25, women. Yeah, with 25-year-olds. He would never go over that limit. Uh, Michael never went over a limit either. <laughs> no, he didn't. You know, you think about that whole history with uh, Joe Jackson, who just didn't Joe Jackson, his dad, just die about two years ago. Yeah, Joe Jackson. Pretty sad stuff. Yeah. He was beating those kids badly. Uh, you well, would, and it was terrible. A story, there's a story behind the story on that. Uh, and again, uh, allegedly, uh, Michael Jackson was shamed into into changing his looks in his in his opinion because joe jackson and again this is um, these are just allegations i've heard would uh allude to the fact that michael jackson's nose was too wide yeah and he was he was too black and when you see the transformation that michael jackson made when he did um the album off the wall he looked okay you could tell he had some facial reconstructive work but he was still essentially black. At the end, you could see that he just went over the edge. And what's really interesting to me, and nobody talks about this, is his children. Uh, I cannot really believe those are his kids because they are very white, extremely white, and they don't have any of the features that he had before Indeed. he became white. And I'm, I'm, I'm treading as lightly as I can. I don't think those are, his, yeah, I don't think those are his kids either. They don't look anything like him. They really don't. And no, they, they don't. I'm not even quite sure how no one knew uh, something wasn't right. When Michael Jackson walked into the Grammys, uh, holding Emmanuel Lewis, well, and then he was married to uh, Lisa Marie Presley. Ah, uh, come on. Come that on was, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to show that he wasn't doing what he was doing, I guess. But, um, yeah, you talk about a sad existence. You know, and another guy who lived that sad existence was uh, Prince. Prince, was another probably guy. probably one of the greatest guitar players of all time. And yet it looked like, you know, he succumbed to fentanyl. So, yeah. I mean, you know, these guys just so many great what? Well, what Musicians I think, yeah, what I think, Lee, is they didn't they didn't start this way. They didn't get into the business uh, trying to, you know, have the mindset with, OK, we're going to sleep with children all of a sudden or we're going to do, you know, X, Y and Z. I think something happened along the way. Well, and you're let's put it this way. The brand for your show alludes to it. The Illuminati. I was reading before I came on the air. Uh, I like this guy. He has a website called the the Vigilant Citizen, and he, he writes mm. about a lot of. Uh, <coughs> Go ahead, get it out of there. He he writes Clear about throat. a lot of esoteric stuff, and he was talking about this band, these uh, K-pop bands out of Korea, and how they have to go through these Illuminati oh, yeah, initiation yeah. rites that are tied into Freemasonic 
uh, rites and rituals, but I mean, I'm sure you're probably familiar with a lot of that stuff. Um, well, actually, I only heard, I'm not very much in the know about the Korean pop stars, but I know one of them was actually charged over some sort of prostitution ring, which yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Well, you always see these, uh, the checkerboard, you know, the, the chessboard, the, the duality, uh, as above, so below. The Freemason, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so prevalent. My dad was a uh, 32nd degree Freemason. I didn't know anything about it. And uh, I remember going to his funeral and it was like anything but normal. And I had never been in a Freemasonic lodge before. And it was just creeped me out. Oh, yeah. I would definitely have to assume that would creep anybody out. And I still ask that question for those who still defend Michael Jackson uh, tooth and nail. I always say, would you let kids sleep over with Michael Jackson? No. <clears throat> yeah, they usually, no. yeah, they usually don't want that happen. <laughs> well, it's a, the talent. The talent blinds them. And, and we can bring this back to the book. Some people are so blinded by his talent. And there's no doubt. He was one of the most talented performers in the history of entertainment. The best in the world, indeed. He was so good that they're blinded to the fact that he, by all signs, was a pedophile. Isn't that and crazy? It's the same, and it's the same thing with the flat earth. I can I can say to people, go outside and look at the moon. Okay, if it's a quarter moon tonight, what's casting that shadow? It's not the earth. It would be an eclipse. I believe the sun pours its light into the moon. And that's how the moon is illuminated. It's not reflection. And they'll look at it, they'll look at it, and they'll go, no. <clears throat> because they're just so used to it. We, we have been so brainwashed with globes from the moment we walk into school. Globeheads. Globeheads. You know, there's a show called The Magicians on the Sci-Fi Channel, and all of those people are into the occultic black magic angle of the magicians, and they're obsessed with globes. The teachers always have globes. And it isn't ironic that Christians are adamant about man not evolving from an ape, but yet they'll fall in line with the sun and the heliocentric theory that the earth is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, going 66,000 miles around the sun, and that this whole thing, this Milky Way, is expanding at a million miles an hour. I mean, that takes some faith. And you're not that with it. A lot of faith. You're not with I, it. I'm, no, I, I I don't have that kind of faith. Amazing. I think it takes a lot more faith to believe in the heliocentric theory than I do in the geocentric. Amazing indeed. And are there any other conspiracies, Lee, that have caught your attention aside from the flat Earth? I'm I'm curious to know. Well, like everybody else, I, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by the moon. Uh, being what it is. I just believe that we need to stop discussing whether the earth is flat and to really come to some conclusions about the moon and the sun. If it is true, what Lucifer says in my book, Morning Star's Tale, that the sun and the moon are only 3,500 miles away and localized, somebody should be able to get up there. And the other thing, we didn't even discuss it, the South Pole. The South Pole. It doesn't... it yeah. doesn't exist. You you say it doesn't it, exist. You really do no, think. No, uh-huh. I do not believe it exists. I, I From reading the book of Enoch, it confirmed the size. He said it is 12 strata. 
in the Book of Enoch. Now, a strata is 5,000 miles. You take 12 times 5, you're looking at 60,000 miles. So according to the Book of Enoch, we are surrounded by a 60,000-mile circular ice wall. And then beyond that ice wall, nobody knows what is after that. I believe it's almost, the best way to picture it is like a Frisbee on a desk. I really believe that's what the flat earth is, that we have this enclosed system, but it goes even further out and nobody knows. And and honestly, Michael, this whole argument could be ended rapidly if somebody would just fly under the South Pole and pop up on the other side. They could fly from New Zealand and then come up through the uh, through South Africa, go to Johannesburg, but you're not allowed to. There was a treaty passed in 1958 that makes it illegal for anyone to fly over the South Pole. Why is that? You, yeah, it's a no-fly zone. <clears throat> it's a no-fly zone. And the reason it's a no-fly zone is there's no South Pole. Well, they say the reason for that is because it's too dangerous. You don't buy that. No, not for a moment. No, no, I don't. Well, it doesn't make any sense. It, it makes no sense at all. If if someone can just fly over the South Pole and pop up on the other side, then this book that I wrote is an extreme error. It's and over. I'll admit it. But I need to see some validation. And that's all I'm asking for. We don't We don't have to go to the moon or the sun. Somebody just needs to get in a jet, fly from Tierra del Fuego in South America, and pop up over Australia. You do that, then you have proven that the Earth is round and that I'm nuts and all these people that talk about the Earth being flat are wrong. But nobody does that. And why is it no commercial flights fly over Antarctica? Well, they'll say that Qantas does, but they don't. They do tours of Antarctica, and they just skim the edge of the ice wall. And that guy who allegedly crossed Antarctica did not cross Antarctica. He walked a little bit inland and then took a right. And they have, they have his path. No one has been to the South Pole because there's no South Pole to go to. And they will shoot your plane down if you try to go there. That's what – see, and again, this gets back to – 9-11, I don't talk about Building 1 and 2. I talk about Harvey uh, uh, Silverstein Sure. and the fact they pulled Building 7. To me, that tells me they're lying. And when it comes to the flat earth, the simple fact that they have this treaty in place and you're not allowed to fly over the South Pole, it's called the International Maritime Organization, World Meteorological Organization, a lot of words, but... Uh, Basically, I, I wrote here in the book, although the South Pole doesn't exist, there is an Antarctica, just not in the heliocentric sense. Antarctica's inner ocean frozen border wall bulkhead is over 200 feet high and a 360-degree circumference covering 60,000 miles and containing the oceans of my flat Earth. At the end of Antarctica's vast interior territory, the flat earth plane intercepts the precipice of the sea firmament dome, which is also where the first heaven of the third dimension ends and the second heaven of the fourth dimension begins. 
The North Pole is at the center of the flat Earth. And here's another fact. The North Pole, or Alaska, that area, is a lot warmer than Antarctica. Why is that? And the reason is that Antarctica is on the edge. The edge of the flat Earth. And the sun literally goes between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of, Cancer, of Capricorn as it just rotates above the flat Earth. And that accounts for the seasons. I never understood that before because there was one argument, okay, what what accounts for the seasons? And I know growing up in New England, in December, the sun is in the southern horizon. Well, what's happening is that the sun is localized and it's moving between the Tropic of Cancer and Capricorn. It's not the tilt. There's no tilt because there's no ball. I know it's a lot of meat. It took me a year. <laughs> it took me a year to get to 5049. No, I, I, I don't But I appreciate you listening because I know oh, you're well, you are. Well, there's a lot that you said there that uh, I definitely knew you were going to throw at me, but definitely not trying to uh, start an argument here with you. Lots of people believe uh, many things, and you yourself are a flat earther through and through, my friend. Well, and think about this, Michael. I'm going to be 62 next month. For 59 years of my life, I believe we lived on a ball. 59 years of my life, and it's only been the last three that I have believed the earth is flat. So if someone believes the earth is round and not flat, who am I to judge them? I look at my own journey. It took me almost 60 years to come around, and I did a lot of intensive study to get to this point. I don't judge anybody's timetable. All I ask people to do is if you do read the book, just try to read it with an open mind and find something that you might agree with and go on your own journey. Because I can tell you, anybody who reads this book as the gospel and believes everything that Lucifer tells you is insane. Oh, yes. And that is. This is this... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that is Lee Austin, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, find his book over on Amazon. Definitely search Morning Stars Tell, and you'll definitely find his book on various platforms. I have to imagine nowadays. Yeah, it is. You can get a an ebook or yeah. a printed copy through Amazon. The same thing with uh, Smashwords, Barnes and Noble, the uh, usual suspects. Indeed. And before I cut you loose here, Lee, I definitely want you to get the final word, anything on your mind, anything you want to get off your chest. Right now is the right time, my friend. Okay. Again, the book is Morningstar's Tale, and it's spelled T-A-L-E, and it's a, um, it's a narration by Lucifer, otherwise known as Morningstar. And the whole purpose of the book is to just to get you on your way to discover truth. And if you're a truth seeker, we can agree to disagree, but I love hanging out with people that don't accept this world for what it is. And that's all I'm asking people to do is just open your eyes, go on your own journey. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm just trying to crack the uh, hard ice. Incredible. I'm still baffled that in 2019, Mark Sargent, got a Netflix special before Louis C.K. did. 
<laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I don't. I don't, I don't think uh, Lou, uh, Mark Sargent did some of the things that Louis C.K. did. That's true. It's yeah. it's all so incredible to me. Uh, Lee, again, amazing time. Thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed our conversation. We will definitely have to do it again on the other side, my friend. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, lending an ear. I, I, I appreciate you, your fellow truth seeker. No problem, Lee. Thank you so much and, and be safe out there, my friend. You too, my friend. Thank you for the conversation. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Lee Austin. Definitely want to thank him for being a part of the program, as well as you out there. And yeah, it's that time to wrap it up. And before we take it home here, definitely want to give some respect to our international listeners out there in Germany and Spain, Brazil, and the Canadians out there. Love the Canadians. I also would like to thank Deprogrammed Radio and Coming Right Up, as well as the Fringe FM. Great boys and girls there. And of course, the chat room. I will definitely see you tomorrow night. Same place, same time, boys and girls. I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. End of day. The freedom of speech is being taken away. If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. That's the great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the Seven, Michael, Anil.